Hello and welcome to What Does the Bible Say? I'm your host, Dr. Wayne Davis, and in a recent episode we talked about Acts chapter 10 and how people sometimes think that Acts chapter 10 says we can now eat pigs, shrimp, lobsters, and other animals that God has declared unclean and commanded that they never ever be eaten by mankind. And why Acts chapter 10 rather teaches about God has cleansed the Gentiles, not the pigs. Peter himself in Acts chapter 10 says, God has shown me I should not call any man common or unclean. So that made me think about, you know, there are a lot of things written in the New Testament that make people think that we simply do not need to follow God's commandments. So I thought I'd take a few minutes and start a series on what are those verses that make us think we don't have to follow God's commandments and what do they actually mean? So let's start today in Romans chapter 6, written by the Apostle Paul to the church at Rome. And in Romans chapter 6 verse 1, it says, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? His answer in Greek, meijanoito, means certainly not. Or in the King James Version, it says, God forbid says, how shall we who die to sin live any longer in it? So the Apostle Paul says, we're saved by faith through the grace and mercy of God, but is that a license for us to sin? And he says, absolutely not. Well, we need to know, does the Bible define what sin is? And the answer is, yes, it does. When I grew up in the church, the pastors always said, sin is missing the mark. And I would think to myself, well, since I'm not an archer, I don't have to worry about missing the mark. In other words, I had no idea what that meant. It was not until later in life that I read 1 John chapter 3, verse 4, where it defines what is sin. It says, whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. In God's eyes, that's what sin is. It's lawlessness. Now, many people will say, well, you know, that means running stop signs and speeding through school zones, but it does not. That word lawlessness in Greek is anomia. All means contrary or against, and nomos is the law of God. So when you break a commandment of God, you are committing sin. So if we go back then to Romans chapter 6, you can read verse 1 to say, what shall we say then? Shall we continue to break God's commandments that grace may abound? And Paul says, certainly not. Or in my translation, no way, Jose. He says, how shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Meaning once we are saved by faith, we are no longer going to walk in sin if we understand what the word of God says. But people go, wait, 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 Wayne. We have to go down and look at verse 15. Verse 15 says, What then shall we sin, that is to break God's commandments, because we're not under law, but under grace? And again, the answer is certainly not, or God forbid, depending upon your translation. But let's look at that sentence. It's in the same chapter written by the same author, 
written at the same time. And it says, What then shall we sin that is to break God's commandments because we're not under law? But how can we break God's commandments if the law doesn't apply to us? Well, that's not what this sentence means. There are several different words in Greek that are translated under in our English New Testament. And this particular one is the word hupa. And the word hupa means by or through. So Paul's saying, shall we sin, that is to continue to break God's commandments, because we're not saved by keeping the law, but rather we're saved by grace. And Paul says, no, the fact that we're saved by grace and not by keeping commandments is not an excuse for breaking God's commandments. In verse 16, he goes on to say, do you not know that to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey. You are that one slaves whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness. What he means by this is if you are continuing to sin, walking in unrepentant sin after you say you got saved, he says you're on the path to the lake of fire and eternal death. You are not on the path to heaven. But if you are a slave to obedience, that is to obey the commandments of God, then you're on the path to righteousness. It says in verse 17, But God be thanked that though you were slaves of sin, that is before you got saved, yet you obeyed from the heart that form a doctrine to which you were delivered. So Paul, has Paul taught them to sin? Or has he taught them not to sin? Well, let's look at Romans chapter 3, verse 31. It's in the same book, Romans, written by the same author, Paul, at the same time. Are you with me? Romans chapter 3, verse 31 says, Do we then make void the law through faith? Certainly not. There's that noito in Greek again. The certainly not, or in the King James Version, God forbid. He says, on the contrary, we establish the law. The word establish there is an engineering term. If you have a bridge in the old world that's beginning to sink, you would put a column or a post under it to keep it strong, to make sure it doesn't sag and fall. That's what this word establish means. It means that our faith doesn't make the law empty or of no value or of no effect. It's what gives it strength. You can only please God by faith. You cannot please God by keeping commandments without faith. Salvation comes by faith. Once you're saved, then that salvation should cause you to walk in accordance with God's commandments. Now, why do I say that? Well, a lot of people will tell me, Wayne, you got it wrong. The law was part of the old covenant, and we're not in the old covenant, we're in the new covenant. And people like that, I tend to ask, well, where do you find the terms of the new covenant? To which they will all look at me and say, I don't know. Well, let's go look. The terms of the new covenant are given in Jeremiah chapter 31. In verses 31 to 34. So let's read that together. Again, Jeremiah chapter 31, 
verses 31 to 34. It says, Behold, the days are coming. See how days is plural? Those days started with Messiah. He shed his blood to confirm the new covenant. It says, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant they broke, though I was a husband to them, says the Lord. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law, that's the Hebrew word Torah, same word that's used as law throughout the New Testament. I'll put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. So in the Old Covenant, the law was written upon tablets of stone and rolls of animal skin, we call vellum. So they were external to us, and it was obey them or suffer the consequences. In the New Covenant, here in Jeremiah 31, 33, God says he writes the laws upon our hearts and upon our minds. The law didn't go away. The law just became internal. To have it written upon our hearts and upon our minds means that we desire to do it. We want to keep God's commandments because we're saved by faith. What did Jesus say in John 14, 15? He said, if you love me, keep my commandments. What does it say in 1 John chapter 5, verses 2 and 3? It says, what is the love of God? That we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. So if you do not have a desire to keep God's commandments, then you got to ask, am I really in the new covenant like I think I am? And the Bible would say, no. If we turn in our scriptures to 1 John chapter 2, I'm going to turn there now. 1 John chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. In the online Bible, these verses are titled, quote, The Test of Knowing Him. And that's exactly what it is. If you say, I've been saved by faith, I'm a participant in the new covenant, that means you're saying that I know the Lord. He's my Savior, He's my God, I know Him. Well, here's what the Bible says. And John wrote this 30 years after the other apostles were dead because the church was starting to go off the rails and he wanted to put the train back up on its track. It says in verse 3, Now by this we know that we know him, if we keep his commandments. He who says, I know him, and does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. Why does John say that? Because if you know the Lord... If you're saved by faith, then his commandments are written upon your hearts and minds, and you want to do them. It's your heart's desire to be obedient to a loving father. So if you say, eh, the commandments, of, they don't apply to us. They've been abolished. They, for, they were for people from the Old Testament days. Then you're not understanding what the scriptures is telling us. Verse 7 says, Brethren, I write no new commandment to you, but an old commandment which you've heard from the beginning. And you may say, well, okay, but Jeremiah 31, 31 to 33 and 34, well, that's in the Old Testament. 
Well, let's turn to the book of Hebrews chapter 8. It says the very same thing. In Hebrews chapter 8, verse 10, it says, For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I'll put my laws in their mind and write them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. If you say, well, well that new covenant is with Israel. That's right, there is no new covenant with the church. The church, when you get saved by faith as a Gentile, you get grafted in to Israel. That's what we read in Romans chapter 11. Do you remember that? It talks about being grafted in like a wild olive branch. Mm -hmm. So let's look at Romans 11, starting in verse 16. For if the first fruit is holy, the lump is also holy. And if the root is holy, so are the branches. And if some of the branches were broken off, talking about some of the Jewish people who were not saved by faith, and you, being a wild olive tree, were grafted in among them, and with them became a partaker of the root and fatness of the olive tree, do not boast against the branches. But if you do boast, remember that you do not support the root, but the root supports you. And you'll say, branches were broken off that I may be grafted in. Paul says, well said. Because of unbelief, that is a lack of faith, they were broken off. And you stand by faith. Do not be haughty, but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, he may not spare you either. Sometimes we forget that God says that if you have faith in me, you will be obedient to me. Let's go to the book of Hebrews, to the end of chapter 3. The book of Hebrews at the end of chapter 3 is looking back to the time that Israel was wandering in the wilderness. How many of those who wandered in the wilderness for the 40 years that were above the age of 20 were allowed to go into the promised land? The answer was just two. Who was it? Caleb and Joshua. What happened to all the rest of that great multitude that came out of Egypt? The answer is they died in the wilderness. Look at verse 16 of Hebrews chapter 3. For who, having heard, rebelled? Was it not all who came out of Egypt led by Moses? The answer is yes, all but Caleb and Joshua. It says, now with whom was he angry for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned? whose corpses fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who did not obey? So we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. Did you catch that? To God, the reason they did not obey is because they did not have faith. Now let's think back to Romans chapter 3, verse 31 again. What did Paul say? Do we then make void the law through faith? Certainly not. On the contrary, we establish the law. So in the book of Hebrews, there in chapter 3, God says that all but Joshua and Caleb died in the wilderness, were not permitted to enter the promised land because of their unbelief, which led them to sin. 
Scripture is very clear. If you're living in sin, God says it's because you do not have faith. Hmm. Let's continue in Romans and look at another verse that people immediately will turn to and say, Wayne, the law has ended. That's what it says in Romans chapter 10, verse 4, which reads, For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Although, honestly, I've heard preachers preach this verse many times. And they preach, for Christ is the end of the law, and they put a period for some reason, even though the sentence goes on. And you look at this verse and say, boy, it sure looks like the law ended, until you realize that there are two Greek words for end in the New Testament. One is telos, and one is teleo. Telos means the goal or purpose, like in the telescope, it allows you to see the goal, to see what you're looking at. And it's the way we use goal in a football game to reach the end zone is to cross the goal line. That's telos, the goal. Teleo is a termination. Something is brought to a close or an end. So which of these words end is this in Romans 10.4? Well, it is the word telos. That is the goal or the purpose. So let's look at some other verses that use this very same word and see how we understand them differently. First, in Matthew chapter 24, verses 13 and 14, as you know, Matthew 24 is about the return of Messiah to establish his messianic kingdom on earth. And it says in Matthew 24, verse 13, But he that shall endure unto the end the same shall be saved. Verse 14, And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations, and then shall the end come. So the word end in both those verses, verse 13 and 14, is the word telos, which is the goal or purpose. So the goal is the messianic kingdom, Messiah ruling and reigning. Does the world end when Messiah returns? It's all over. It's abolished. We go into nothingness. No, you know better than that. The end, the goal, is to reach the Messianic kingdom, to live in Messiah's presence, to rule and reign with him for a thousand years on earth before the new heavens and new earth, and then into eternity future in the new heavens and the new earth. So no one would read those two verses and say, well, Messiah returns, all of existence ends. The heavens, the earth, they all just go away and we're in nothingness. Nobody would say that. And then if we go to 1 Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5, many versions read, Now the purpose of the commandment is love out of a pure heart. That's the same word telos being translated there as the purpose. Some translations would say the goal. And that is what that word telos means. So in Romans chapter 10 verse 4, if we, use, if we translate it that way, it would say, For Christ is the goal for righteousness to everyone who believes. So one of the purposes of the law is to bring us to Messiah, to bring us to faith, to show us that we cannot save ourselves. 
It's only through Him we can be saved. How does this relate back to Romans chapter 6? If we go back to Romans chapter 6, if the goal of the law, its purpose, is to bring us to Messiah, then Paul is asking in chapter 6, once we've been saved by faith, we've come to God through faith, we understand Messiah's death, burial, and resurrection, can we then just go on and live in sin? That's back to Romans 6 verse 1. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin? 1 John 3, 4, that is breaking God's commandments, that grace may abound. His answer, certainly not. Why? How shall we who died to sin, that is when you got saved, you were supposed to repent and turn away from your sins. You don't want to be that person anymore. When you were baptized, that's a picture of your dying to sin. Then when you're raised to new life, you're to live a new life, one that's not shackled by the sins of old. Well, where does Paul tell us that? That's actually in the book of Ephesians. If we go to Ephesians, there are two chapters in Ephesians that are very important to this point. The first is Ephesians chapter 2. And let's begin in verse 11. It says, Therefore remember that you once Gentiles in the flesh. He says once Gentiles in the flesh because the word Gentile means pagan. And when you get saved, you're not to be a pagan anymore. You're not to be a Gentile. Once Gentiles in the flesh who are called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision made in the flesh by hands means the Jewish believers are looking down on the Gentile believers and Paul's saying it's not supposed to be like that. Once you get saved, it doesn't matter if you were born a Jew or born a Gentile. It simply makes no difference to God. So verse 12 says that at that time you were without Messiah. Before you got saved, you didn't have Messiah. And it says being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel. That is, you were not part of the children of Israel. You were separated. You were completely foreign to the children of Israel. It says and strangers from the covenants of promise. That is, you were strangers from the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. You weren't a participant in either, or any of the other covenants for that matter, that were given to Israel. It says, having no hope and without God in the world. Before you got saved, that's where you were. You had no hope. No hope of salvation at all. Verse 13 says, but now in Messiah Yeshua, or Christ Jesus, you who once were far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ, or Messiah. Meaning, now that you got saved, you are a part of the commonwealth of Israel. That's the grafting in of Romans 11. And you are participant in the covenants that God made with Israel, including the new covenant. That's how you become a participant in the new covenant, is you get grafted in by faith when you're saved by faith in Messiah. Verse 14 says, For he himself is our peace who has made both one, and has broken down the middle wall of separation. That middle wall of separation refers back to the temple. The Jewish people put up a sign at a particular gate of the temple that Gentiles could not go past that point under pain of death. God didn't tell them to do that. God did not tell them that 
the Gentile peoples can't worship him in the temple. In fact, in Isaiah chapter 58, or let's think of 56, Isaiah chapter 56, God calls the temple his house that's for all nations and all peoples. So back to Ephesians 2, verse 19. Oh, yeah, let's jump forward to 19. Now, therefore, because you've been saved by faith, you are no longer strangers and foreigners. That is, strangers to the covenants, foreigners from the house of Israel. You are part of Israel. You are grafted in. You are participants in the covenants of God. It says you are fellow citizens with the saints. Revelation chapter 4 verse 12 describes the saints as those who keep the commandments of God and the faith of Yeshua. So you become fellow citizens with the saints that is grafted into the Jewish believers and members of the household of God. That is, we become children of God, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. So that's the New Testament and the Old Testament. Yeshua the Messiah himself being the chief cornerstone. Okay, that's Ephesians chapter 2. Now let's go on to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17, where the same Apostle Paul is talking to believers who've been saved out of the Gentile world. In verse 17, chapter 4 of Ephesians, verse 17, it says, This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord. By testifying the Lord, he means this is really true. That you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind. He says, stop walking in sin like you did before you got saved. And if we go down, it'll tell us, then how are we supposed to walk? How are we supposed to do that? Verse 25. Therefore, putting away lying, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor. For we are members of one another. So stop lying to each other. Lying is a sin. It's a breaking of God's commandments. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down in your wrath. All these are different ways of saying, repent, repent, repent. If we think back to Messiah's baptism in the book of Matthew, chapter 3, what was it that John the Baptist was preaching down there at the Jordan River? Do you remember when everybody came to baptize him? It says, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. After Messiah has been baptized and he fasts for 40 days and he defeats Satan, what does he begin to preach? Verse 17 says, From that time Yeshua began to preach and to say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. When the Apostle Peter, in Acts chapter 2, at what you call Pentecost, I call the Feast of Shavuot, persuaded the Jewish and Gentile converts that they had indeed committed great sin through the crucifixion of Messiah. He persuaded them. They were cut to the heart. In verse 37 it says, Now when he heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, 
what shall we do? Then Peter said to them, Repent, and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Yeshua the Messiah for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That word repent appears in our English Bible almost 60 times. That's how important repentance is. Repentance is turning away from sin and turning back to God in righteousness. In future lessons, we're going to look at that word righteousness and see that it's the polar opposite of lawlessness. Lawlessness, anomia, is walking in sin. If you're walking in sin, you are not walking in righteousness. So if you're breaking the Sabbath in favor of Sunday, if you're eating pig, shrimp, lobsters, instead of eating the foods that God said were permissible, if you're keeping pagan festivals instead of the ones commanded by God, then you are not walking in righteousness, you're walking in holiness. And this is a very important thing to consider and understand as we are in these last days. If you want to know more about any of these topics, please go to my website at www.john1415.org. There's no colon in there, just john1415.org. Or send me an email at wdavis.jag at gmail.com.